Um, we are going to be continuing our study here in this room of a sermon series that we're doing of sorts. Being a new church, we found that it would be uh, important and relevant and helpful for us as a new gathering to go through our core values. You may have had opportunity to read through our core values either on our website um, or through a brochure that we have, but our hope here is that these core values will be part of the culture here of our church, maybe some distinctive elements of this local body. And we've talked about a couple of those already. We've talked about gospel centrality, that we want the gospel to be saturated in all that we do, not just on Sunday mornings, but all throughout the week. We've talked about our need uh, as a whole body of Christ to be involved in personal evangelism, to be ambassadors for Christ. And just last week, we talked about the importance of what it is to study the Bible personally, not just to come under the teaching of God's word regularly, but to use the Spirit's help in reading God's word personally daily um, and being transformed by it. And so this morning, we're now moving on to the core value of congregational singing. And I recognize this may not seem as distinct as some of these other values because almost every church that gathers on the Lord's Day is going to be involved in singing. But my hope is, in having this as a value, to not necessarily to do something different, but to understand why it is we do what we do and in what way we ought to do it. And so let me read the core value of congregational singing as we have represented it online and in our brochures. We believe that there is value in singing praises to God personally, but also together as the church. Therefore, our services will include songs that are designed to make them singable for all people, whether you have a musical background or not. While we place high value on musical excellence, we also are careful not to make our worship performative. The Lord commands us to sing together, and our desire is to be obedient to the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to kind of survey what the Bible has to say on singing together. In fact, I've entitled this message, Why We Sing and it's something that I think many of us take for granted, particularly if you've grown up in the church. You know that every church kind of has a formula of sorts, that you're welcomed, that there's usually a body of songs, maybe some prayer, some teaching of God's word, and a, and a closing of songs. But we may never have given consideration as to why is it that we sing each and every given Sunday, and how unique it is for us to gather as a group of people to sing. I want you to think for a moment, does this happen anywhere else in your everyday life, or even to, to the world standards? Is there ever a place in which people gather regularly simply to come together and to sing with one voice songs? No, it is not. And for those who may be unfamiliar with church, you may not realize how different this may be. I've talked with some people who, who've never grown up in church, who've never attended, and they come in and they're surprised to see us all singing together. You know, what are these people doing? This is a little weird that we're all singing in front of the screen while people are playing with the, with the lyrics up in front. Is this some sort of like Christian karaoke thing that you guys are doing? All we're missing is that bouncing ball on, on those lyrics, which for some of us could, could be helpful at times. But why is it that we do this? Well, let me just say that the Bible has a lot to say about singing. We won't be able to cover it all 
Um, but I do want to draw special attention to a couple passages. We're going to look at a number of passages today. It's going to be a little bit more of a topical message of sorts. But I want to read together these two passages first. Ephesians 5, 17 through 21, and Colossians 3, 16. And so if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open up to that Ephesians passage in particular, Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. Uh, I forgot to mention this earlier, but if you need a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back that you can grab as well. Um, but I do want us to have at least this passage open kind of throughout the, the, the service or the sermon as we'll reference it regularly. So Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. If you would, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? The word of God says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. You may be seated. And so the structure for our time this morning is I have three questions that I want to ask that will look to various scriptures to answer. Those three questions are this. Why do we sing? What do we sing? And to whom do we sing? And so let us begin with this first question. Why is it that we sing? I have two answers for you this morning. The first is kind of the most straightforward and simple. Why do we sing? We sing because we are commanded to sing from the Bible. Scripture has over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands for us to sing. 50 commands. I would challenge you to think of anything that the Bible commands this much. Can you think of something that is repeated over 15 times, referenced 400, and then repeated in a command 50 times within Scripture? That list is not very long. And so, for example, let me look at uh, Psalm 96 with you this morning. Psalm 96, verses 1 through 2. We see the psalmist write, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Similarly, Psalm 47 says, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. Here in these two passages alone, we have seven times in which we are commanded to sing. And so as I said, I don't have time to go through all 400 references and 50 commands, but let it be made clear and obvious, hopefully just through the citation of these, that this is something that scripture says, that scripture repeats. And if you're tempted to think that all those commands, all those references are simply in the book of Psalms, right? The, the collection of poetry, um, songs that, that are recorded for us, know that all of the Bible has much to say about this. In fact, we just read in the New Testament from Ephesians that we're commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. A similar verse in which I said we would read is Colossians 3.16. Here in the New Testament, we see this command repeated, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns 
and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And so we're commanded, we're told by God through his word time and time again that we as Christians are to sing. And I recognize some of us in this room love to sing. In fact, God may have gifted you with a talent for singing, but it may be obvious to some that we don't all share in that talent. Maybe we don't all share in that love. We all have different abilities with regards to the quality of our singing, but that doesn't mean that we aren't still called to sing. I don't believe that I have a particularly good singing voice. Maybe I'm average, but there are times in which this obedience to this command is maybe not as easy as those who have more of a gift and more of a passion for singing. And so maybe you will share in my love for passages like Psalm 95, verse one. It says, oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Maybe your singing, like mine, sounds more like noise, but nevertheless, know that it is pleasing to our Father in heaven as we sing praises to his name for the salvation that he has given us. You see, the thing about this command to sing is we're not commanded to sing because we're great singers. We're commanded to sing because we have a great God. And he is pleased when we sing praises to his name. Psalm 105.2, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous deeds. What we do when we sing is we praise him and we tell of his wondrous deeds. And this is something that every Christian is called to do. And there are things that every Christian is, is called to do that we don't um, resist or balk at. We're all called to share our faith. We're all called to pray to God. We're all called to read his word. And yes, we are all called to sing together. So why do we sing? Most simply, because we're commanded to. But I think there's another answer to this question as well that may aid us in walking in obedience with regards to this command. And it's not that we're just commanded to sing, but you are created to sing. We sing because we're created to sing. You may know, or you may not know, that all mankind, men and women, are created in the image of God, meaning that we are to reflect what God is like. And did you know that the God of the Bible is a singing God? Look with me at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Our God is a singing God, and he sings over you, not quietly, but with loud singing. Jesus himself, our Redeemer, the one who is fully God, fully man, as he was on the earth with his disciples, taught them to sing. And he sang with them. We have this recorded in Matthew 26, the last night that Jesus would have on this earth with his disciples as he was observing that last supper, as he was about to go to the cross, be betrayed and hung. It says in verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so we have this passage in Zephaniah saying that we have a God who sings over us. We have this example in scripture of our God become man, living with us and singing with his disciples as part of his worship. And we also have this 
evidence that the new life we have in Christ, that as, you, as you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, one of the signs, one of the fruits that you are part of God's family and have been redeemed is that you would have a growing desire to sing, that singing to the Lord is evidence of you being filled with God's spirit. Look again at that passage in Ephesians 5. In particular, verses 18, the latter half of verse 18 and verse 19. Paul writes, he tells us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the outpourings of that, one of the manifestations of the Spirit in your life is that you will address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So God is a singing God. Jesus modeled singing in his life. We have the Spirit in us, moving us to sing praises to God. And not only that, we will spend all of eternity being a singing people. As we look to books like Revelation that open up and give us previews of what life will be like when God comes and makes all things new, what it will be like to be with him in his presence, what are we going to be doing? Well, look with me at Revelation 5, verse 9. As the Apostle John was given this great vision of the throne room of God, he sees a group of people around the throne, and it says in verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people to God from every tribe and language and people and nation. As we spend eternity with God, we will spend part of that eternity or much of that eternity still singing praises to God. And so if that is going to characterize our future, why will we not let it characterize our life even here and now? Like Psalm 104:33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have been. We're commanded to sing, yes, but we're also created to sing to our God. but let us reflect upon our obedience to this command at times. You see, we're commanded and we're created to sing, and yet sometimes or often we don't. We may have the habit of coming to church regularly or somewhat regularly, and yet when it comes to this time of corporate worship, of us singing together as God's people, we don't participate. Or if we don't participate, it's Maybe we do participate, but we don't participate fully. We maybe go through the motions. I know there were times in my life being apprehensive about what I sounded like. Can others hear me? Would sometimes just do a little Christian lip sync to some of our worship songs so as not to be embarrassed, right? Or we'd simply just sit and observe and take in. But no, friends, we are called to sing together as we gather on the Lord's day. Sometimes we maybe sing, but we're tired and our mind wanders. We haven't prepared our hearts and our mind to be ready to worship the Lord as we ought to with passion and fervor. And so I would encourage each one of us here in this room to come to Sunday morning services ready to sing. You see, we don't have problems singing on other days from time to time. How many of you feel pretty comfortable singing in your car? How many of you belt it out pretty good in your car or the shower? 
And oftentimes, these are songs that aren't even worship songs. These are just songs that we enjoy that are, that are secular. I'm not saying that we can't listen to music outside of Christian music, but at the very least, think about your heart and your passion when you're singing in that car on your commute to work versus when you're singing here with God's redeemed people on a Sunday morning. Is one greater than the other? We've made reference to it already, but today is in some ways a significant day in our culture, a day in which we will watch a game on television and there is going to be one team that wins and one team that loses. And usually with contests like this, the team that wins, they, they go home to their home state, their hometown, and there's singing and celebration in the streets. Now, we being in American culture, we don't really have songs associated with some of our teams, but I think this is one of the, the neat things to see with regards to other sports all around the world. I think of soccer in particular that these teams, they have chants, they have songs, and when they win championships, the celebration sometimes goes on for days. It wasn't all that long ago, a few years ago, that we saw Argentina win the World Cup, and for days, even weeks, people were singing in the streets of this great victory won by their country's soccer team. Are we convicted at all that there would be greater singing in greater celebration of a sports event than the singing that takes place here as we remember the victory that Christ won for us on the cross over sin, death, and the devil. There's a quote by John Wesley that I found particularly convicting. He says this, sing lustily with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, no more ashamed of its being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. So many of us sing with more passion the songs of this world than we do of the songs that recount of our great God and what he's done for us. So as God's people, we are meant to be a singing people. We should feel uncomfortable with regards to being half-hearted in our obedience to this command, but more so we should have a growing desire at having been created to sing, having been renewed because of what Christ has done and the spirit within you to fulfill what God created you to do, to sing praises to his name. And so I would call on many of us in this room as we seek to adopt this as part of our culture, as part of our values, to be the trendsetters to be the influencers that as you come this morning or as you come Sunday mornings to be awake, to not stay out late on Saturday, to drink your coffee in the morning, to have ample time to be ready, maybe do some vocal exercise, that might be a little much, but to come ready to sing and to model that for those here in this room. I would think of those, particularly heads of households, men, for whatever reason, singing is seen as a sign of weakness or femininity or whatever it may be, that it's just not macho, but here in this place to be a leader and God's people is to be someone who sings. Let your kids see you sing. Let your spouse see you sing. And don't just go through the motions. In the wise words of a great theologian, Buddy the Elf, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear. 
The same can be applied here. The best way to see us as a church to grow in our passion together for God is to sing loud for all to hear. So why do we sing? We're commanded to, we're created to. Now the question then becomes, what is it that we are to sing? What do we sing? Again, I have two answers. First, we are to sing the word of God. That we're to let the Bible dictate what it is that we sing. That our song should be filled with what the scriptures speak about. That our singing is more than just music. Because music is a powerful tool, right? It can be very emotional. But we're to sing thoughtfully. I appreciate the work that our worship team does. Even the admonishment that we received this morning. To be thinking about the words that we are singing as we are singing them. This is of great importance. Because understanding is of great importance. Paul had this in mind as he wrote um, passages such as 1 Corinthians 14, 15. He writes this, he says, What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. That the content of what we sing is also of great importance, that our minds are to be engaged in what we are doing and what we are singing, that our song should be filled with the word of God. This is what we have in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. One of the ways in which we let the word of Christ dwell in us is by consuming it and meditating on it through our songs, which is why to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Another quote from an actual real theologian this time, Augustine, a church father, said this with regards to the importance of understanding what we are singing. Augustine writes in his confessions, Yet when it happens that I am more moved by the singing than by what is sung, I confess myself to have sinned wickedly, and then I would rather not have heard the singing. You see, the musicality can sometimes be a distraction if we are not thinking about what we are singing or if we're singing songs that don't have any real content or truth to them. So we're to sing the word of God. Secondly, but very similarly, we're to sing what God's word cares about the most, right? We've talked about this in some of our other core values that at the heart of all of scripture is the story of redemption. That as we read the scripture, personally as we hear it taught, that we're to be led to Christ. No matter where we find ourselves in the scriptures, and so I think the same ought to be true as a guiding principle with regards to our singing, that as we sing God's word, it should help us in being brought closer to God through Christ. Ephesians, going back to Ephesians 5, verse 19 and 20, addressing one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can see in some ways the content there that, we're, that through our singing, we're giving thanks to God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to sing about these great themes in scripture that are gospel themes. 
something that is maybe undersung at times, that we do sing of here from time to time, is even our own guilt. I think of Psalms like Psalm 51, great Psalm of David, verses 14 through 15. David cries out, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Some of what we need to sing needs to be lamentation, confession, our own guilt, but also how God has redeemed us and saved us in the midst of that. Or to sing of the marvelous things that God has done. The most marvelous thing of all would be Christ's work on the cross. Psalm 98.1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. I think one of the reasons why these themes of redemption and the gospel and God's character are meant to be saturated in our songs is because not only are we singing for ourselves and to the Lord, but we're singing to an unbelieving world, that there are gonna be those who come into our church who have not been forgiven, who have not experienced personal faith in Christ. And we want to be singing the gospel so that they can become more familiar with the gospel message. I know many a person who has come to faith, not just through a sermon, but through the songs that were sung during a service because they made clear to them the good news of the gospel. And I think this is by design and intention from the Lord something we see even in the early church. Paul recounts this in Romans 15, verses eight through nine. He talks of this principle of people hearing the gospel through our singing. Starting in verse eight of chapter 15 of Romans, he says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That as we sing to God the great things that he has done, namely having worked salvation for us, that those who are not part of God's family may even be brought into God's family as a result of those songs that you and I would sing. You see, what we sing as Christians is to be different than what the world sings about. Right? When we look at the world, what do they sing about? They sing about romance, heartache, maybe good times. But what is it that you and I as God's people are to sing about when we gather on the Lord's Day? We're to sing about God, his character, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're to sing about his holiness, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. We sing of our sin, of our guilt, but also of God's redemption. We sing of lamentations of a broken world and a longing to be with him and to see all things made new. See, we sing of longing to be with God. And so how do we, how do we judge what ought to be sung? You see, one of the things that is difficult to do is to decide if a song is a good song to sing on a Sunday morning. And there have been conversations or, um, what would I say, debates or 
tug and pulls in terms of what makes a good song a good song to be sung. Some of this can be a bit subjective, but there are some general principles in which can guide us and are guiding our church as we speak, as I seek to lead our worship team in this regard, and I'm greatly blessed and encouraged by their commitment to these things as well. But one of the things that I've often told people, particularly as I was in youth ministry and and training young teenagers to kind of lead in worship, how do you judge if a worship song is a good song, right? Because we want to be singing the best songs that we can sing. There are more songs than we can sing on any given Sunday, so how do we choose the best songs that'll engage us, not just through the music, but through our minds and represent what God's word says to us the best. And so I came up with two tests. The first is what I call the girlfriend test. This one was useful as I was talking with um, particularly young men um, beginning to lead in worship. And I would just simply ask them, if you were to sing this song to a girl you liked at school, would they know it's a Christian song? Or would they think that you're serenading them? You know, sometimes our our songs just aren't explicit. They talk of love, endless love, deep love. Maybe there's some imagery of some oceans and things like that, but but they just aren't specific enough to really distinguish if this was sung in a different context, is this a Christian song? I'm not saying they're bad songs. All I'm saying is that there are better songs to sing if you can't pass this first test. Another test that I think is more and more important in this day and age is what I call the therapist test. Similar, is there anything in this song that would be any different from what you would get in going to some secular therapist? Is this song just to build you up in your own personal image? Is it to talk about your worth, your positive thinking? More and more of our popular Christian music is sounding a lot like the world with regards to thinking good thoughts about yourself. Is it giving you a positive self-image or is it telling you that you are a sinner in need of redemption who has been given a new identity in Christ? You see, we need to gauge not just our heart and our emotions through music, but also our mind as well. And the reason why this is so important is that music is a powerful tool for teaching. In many ways, it is the most powerful tool we have for teaching. In fact, some of the foundational things that you and I have learned and memorized, we've often learned it to music. In fact, some of us, to recall certain things in our life, may find ourselves singing a certain jingle in our head that has been there forever. And this is by God's design. This is why he's given us song. That it's through our singing that we teach one another. Colossians 3.16, once again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom by singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, we see the power of music and the way that we use it to memorize things, but you can see this in many ways in a greater way, right? I'm under no false pretense that any of you are ever going to memorize an entire sermon that I've given. I don't think any pastor expects that of anybody. I mean, ask a pastor three weeks after he's preached a sermon if he remembers exactly what he said. No. But many of us in this room will remember the songs that we sung this morning for the rest of our lives. 
And so this is a powerful way in which we can internalize and let the word of God dwell in us richly. This is illustrated with regards to some diseases of the brain. I think of Alzheimer's patients or those struggling with dementia who sometimes forget the faces of their most beloved family members, forget who their spouse is, can't recognize them, a son or a daughter. And yet many of you have probably seen this, but if you put on their favorite song, all of a sudden they're able to remember and sing perfectly on beat every lyric of the song. It's a good illustration of how deep we can absorb things through music. And it's for this reason that we wanna make sure that what we sing is the best that we can sing. These are things that are gonna be hidden in our heart, probably for the rest of our lives. And so let's hide as much of God's word in there as we can. And I think ultimately this is why we shouldn't concern ourselves ultimately with styles of music, right? In many ways, I think it's a blessing to expose ourselves, particularly on a Sunday morning, to different styles. Because part of what we're called to do, as we saw in Ephesians, we're also to submit to one another. And we're all going to have preferences. Some of us like bluegrass, some of us like gospel, some of us like contemporary, some of us like hymns. Right? And so there should be a willingness amongst us as God's people to experience different styles so as to submit to other people that they may be blessed by hearing something in a tune or a rhythm that greatly benefits them. But where we should not compromise is with regards to what the content of what we sing is. That we should each call one another to a higher standard of, yeah, that may be catchy, but is it pointing us to Christ? Is it is it helping us grow in our knowledge of who God is? So what do we sing? We sing God's word, and we sing what God's word has greatest concern for, or what all of God's word is meant to lead us to, which is Christ Jesus our Lord, and the good news of his redemption on the cross. So now let me turn to our last question, which may seem the most straightforward of it all, but again has two answers. The last question I have for us this morning is, to whom do we sing? Two answers. First, maybe most obvious, we sing to God. This is clear in Psalm 147, verse 1, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Exodus 15, 1 as well says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And so hopefully this is obvious. I don't need to spend much time on it. But as we sing, as we gather as the church, as God's people, we are singing to God. And that is pleasing to him. But he is not the only one that we're singing to. I would contend that we also sing to one another. That we're not just singing to God, but we're singing to one another as we sing these songs this is seen in both our two passages that we've referenced over and over, Colossians and Ephesians. Verse 16, we let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That as we sing, we're teaching one another, we're admonishing one another in all wisdom. Ephesians 5, 19 says that we're addressing one another 
in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Something that we maybe have yet to think about, that as we sing, we're not just singing to an audience of one, but to those gathered here in this room, that it is part of your ministry to each other. And God uses this in mighty ways. I can think of a couple of examples in scriptures, or in the scripture. Acts 16, verse 25, give you some context for this one. This is uh, the apostle Paul, he's been arrested, he's in Philippi. Him and um, Silas and some other people are, are in this jail and it's midnight. I'm sure that they're discouraged, they're beaten. And what do they do to encourage one another? They not only pray, but they sing. Verse 25 of Acts 16, is about, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. So I imagine Paul and Silas and, and, and trying to comfort and encourage one another in this difficult trying time as they suffer, they began to sing. And so we see the one anotherness of this happening, but we also see the evangelistic witness of them singing together because all the prisoners were listening. And if we were to continue to read this story, we would know that through not just a miracle of God bringing an earthquake and opening the doors, but also through their singing, God was able to bring to faith that Philippian jailer as a result of this. So here we have an example of singing to one another. We also see in James chapter five, verse 13 through 14, James in giving instruction says, is any, anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I cite this as an example because none of us have a hard time understanding that we're to pray for one another and with one another. An elder or a pastor should, should visit the sick and encourage them, but also as we are cheerful, as we seek to cheer one another, we are to sing together. So we have two examples in scripture in the New Testament, but can also share an example from my own life of how the one another aspect of singing was so important. You know, in preparation for us to start this new church, for me and my family, um, some of you may know the, the story a little bit, but we, we sought a partnership, a guide, a help, and, and how to start a new church in this area, and we chose to partner with a Baptist denomination known as Converge. And part of the beginning stages of that partnership was that my wife and I had to go and to be assessed for a weekend. We had to go through some training, um, you know, sit through some interviews, make sure that we were not only called but qualified, that our marriage was healthy and all that. And I'm greatly appreciative of that. But during this time, as we had to go away for, for three days, my wife was experiencing some serious health issues and we knew that she needed to have surgery very soon. And we were both very nervous about this surgery. And so there were these big life changes coming our way. We had a baby on the way. We had this potential of starting a new church and we didn't really know what the future held with regards to my wife's health. And so we gathered with God's people under what was a pretty stressful time being assessed for this church planting. And I remember while we were there, we attended church. And for me personally, as a husband, I was struggling most of all with how to care for my wife because there was nothing that I could do with regards to her physical condition. I had to trust the doctors knew what they were doing, that the surgery was gonna be successful and all of that. And so we were both in a very emotional state. And yet as we gathered together with God's people, I was in many ways moved to tears through one of the songs that we sang as 
a local church in that place. A song that you may or may not know, it's a bit older and to be honest has never been quite a favorite of mine, but a song known as Angel Armies. And the, the chorus is what really moved me and my wife at the time. The chorus goes like this. I won't sing it, but I will read it for you. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And I'll tell you, as we sang that with God's people that morning, I was greatly comforted. I was reminded of God's care for me and my family, that even though I felt like I was not in control, that God was indeed in control. And I was greatly blessed through that experience. And I know for certain that had that song, if we had encountered that song, not in that gathering of God's people on a Sunday morning, but in a car ride, as it came on the radio, that we probably would not have had that same experience. If I'm being honest, this has not been ever one of my favorite songs. It's just not my personal taste. But yet hearing God's people sing it in the midst of our suffering and our worry and our fear, God was able to use that to teach us, encourage us, and admonish us through the voice of his saints singing these things about God. And my guess is that if you've been a Christian for some time, Maybe you've had a similar experience. As you came to church one morning, you weren't expecting it, but through the singing that took place with God's people all around you, you were aided in your walk with the Lord. Either as you sought to battle sin, as you sought to make a decision in your life, as you sought to endure suffering, as you were maybe moved upon God to make a certain decision, a life change, God encouraged you through his saints and through their singing. And so I would just ask that you would keep this in mind as you gather to sing as part of your worship on Sunday morning. That you not only are to, to sing to the Lord, but that you're singing to your brothers and sisters and with your brothers and sisters as well. I would even challenge you to, to look around. Right? Sometimes, and, and I do this as well, there are times in which you close your eyes, you lift your hands, you, you, you focus on that audience of one, but I would say one of the things that I appreciate more and more is sometimes going to the back of the room during worship and looking at God's people worshiping together and not only singing with them, but to them loudly that you would be encouraged in your faith that you'd be encouraged in your battle with sin or your struggle with anxiety or the brokenness that you're walking through in your life because of relationships or something else or a battle with illness, whatever it may be. And just as part of that worship, praying to God, may God's people be encouraged by my singing this morning. And so as we prepare to conclude, let me just review some of what we talked about this morning. We ask the question, why is it that we sing? We sing because we're commanded to sing, but we're also created to sing. What is it that we are to sing? We're to sing the word of God, the whole counsel of God, but I would say namely, and most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And who do we sing to? We sing to God, but we also sing to one another. And my hope is that as we have this core value of congregational singing, that we will be known as a singing church. Some churches may be known for certain things. Maybe they're known in some ways for their music. But they have talented musicians that, that the experience of worship is just moving. My hope, it's not that we wouldn't have talented musicians. In fact, we do. I can tell you right now, we do. Talented vocalists. But what my hope and prayer is for this church, for Harvest Liberty Lake Church, is that when someone walks through our doors and they come to service, they hear us singing together. It's not just the voices up here, but it's your voices that fill this room that we could encourage and teach and admonish one another faithfully as God has intended for us to do. And so how fitting that we would conclude our service this morning with more opportunity to sing. So if you would, let's pray. Let's prepare to sing together once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been brought together as your redeemed people under the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray that this core value of congregational singing would, would characterize our church, that all here in this room would have a desire and would receive joy from singing together as we gather on Sunday. Lord, we want to sing to you because you are worthy of all our praise, your character, your righteousness, your holiness, your grace, your mercy, the redemption that we have experienced because of what you have done. But Lord, help us to also sing with our other brothers and sisters in mind. And so Lord, receive our worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.